0: welcome back everybody to post wrestling it's john pollock and returning here to post wrestling a friend of the show he is the co-author of their latest series of books this one the eighth wonder of the world the true story of andre the giant along with bertrand Ibert. he is pat laprod who joins us pat how are you doing today
1: very good it was very good yourself john
0: you are on the, uh, the, the the media run, as we say, and doing interviews left, right, and center. Uh, I will say that when it comes to a book launch, there is no one that hits the media pavement quite like Pat laprod
1: <laughs> I appreciate that. And it's, it's, it's even wilder than just a book launch just because of the uh, uh, Dino Bravo Dark yes. Side of the Ring documentary. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a crazy week.
0: When did you realize that the Dino Bravo episode, which we'll definitely touch upon, that uh, was going to be running in such close proximity to the launch of the book? Like this had to have been part, partly just sheer sure coincidence that here you have two things you're uh, significantly involved with, and they're coming out a, a week apart from
1: one another. I realized it yesterday when I had so many messages <laughs> and tweets and Instagram and everything that I had to answer back. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is just uh, crazy because, I mean, everything in the past month or so felt like it happened three months ago. You know, I spent three weeks at like, home and it felt like three months. So, I, I'm, I mean, you know, everything is kind of, uh, uh, you know, unbalanced right now. And, and, uh, and yeah, I really didn't realize that, you know, Book launch and the Bravo doc would be uh would be so close and would would uh, would gather so uh, uh, so much attention from uh, from the media.
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking about this the other day because you know with the unfortunate news of Howard Finkel's passing, it took me back to uh, that convention that they had in Toronto back in 2012, and. Yep. That was the one and only time I met Howard Finkel, but it also made me remember that that was the first time I ever met you was at that convention where I ended up interviewing you and you were promoting uh, the, the, the future release of Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screwjobs.
1: I will always remember that interview because uh, Bert Schreiber was with me as well. And after the interview, he told me, geez even I want to buy the book now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so oh yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And, and um, I went from Toronto to Vegas because it was the Cauliflower Alley Club. That's right. Uh, that same week. So Howard was there as well. So that's, I didn't, I, I don't remember um, talking to him that much in Toronto, but I remember sitting with him in, in Las Vegas. And I mean, he, he, he remembered my name in Vegas. And then I met with him in Boston. There was a Hall of Fame ceremony in Boston. I want to say maybe six to eight months later, or maybe. I, I don't remember exactly, but a few months later. And he did remember my name again. So that was one of the, of the, and I wasn't the only one, you know, I mean, I, I mean, Howard was so good at this, you know, remember everyone's name and, and make, you know, making them feel uh, special. And he was such a, such a nice person. So, so fun to talk to and so knowledgeable about the business. So yeah, it's a, it's a big loss.
0: Yeah. And it's just been this awful stretch of, you know, a lot of people that have passed away in such a short period of time and. You know, I, I saw Greg Oliver note this as well. It's just like a lot of history that is gone as well, which I mean is obviously secondary to the personal loss. But when you talk about, you know, it's some interesting figures when you incorporate a, a Joe Petticino or a Jack Lotz, uh, like not the most well-known names, but ones that – um and Howard Finkel, of course, as well. Like that amount of history, it's just uh, astounding.
1: Yeah, well, well, I mean, Quebec wrestling was it pretty hard last year in 2019 with, uh, Fernand Frechette and Jacques Rougeau Sr. Mm-hmm. and, uh, René Goulet, uh, and I'm, 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 uh, um, ah, I'm, I'm forgetting one, but, uh, I, I mean, it, it, it that, that's the reason, John, that, me and Bertrand did, uh, did, uh, the, the first book on Montreal wrestling because we, uh, we didn't want those stories to be gone forever. And, and you know, since we released the book, uh, look at the list of people that we interviewed that are not here anymore. French Martin, Mad Dog Vachon, Jacques Rougeau Sr. Uh, so, so I mean, you know, it's, uh, we wanted to speak with you know uh, those those former wrestlers, former personalities, uh, and, and we wanted them to tell us um, their story uh, in order to uh, to make sure that you know they were not forgotten forever.
0: These uh, projects, and you know, I, I would. 100% recommend all of, uh, yourself and, and Bertrand's books. Cause they're such, for me personally, like they're such valuable resources. And I just want to put the timeline in place for those listening. Of course, many people, they, they saw, you, you know, your involvement with the, the HBO documentary on Andre the Giant. What came first? Was it, were you already, uh, working on the book as that project came about? And you were working, uh, kind of on the, these two projects on Andre's life.
1: Um, uh, after the, uh, I want to say after the Mad Dog Vachon book, uh, we, uh, we thought on, uh, of doing, you know, um uh, under the giant book, but I, I don't think it was the right timing. So we were told, eh, we're not really sure if, it's, if, you know, if this is the right, timing to do so so i started working on sisterhood of the Square circle the history of women's wrestling and then bertrand started working on accepted you know mm-hmm. pat patterson's biography so um and then um my involvement in the hbo documentary arrived so um after right after it was right after i was done taping with uh, with with the crew I, uh, called ECW, well, I spoke to Bertrand first, but then we called, uh, ECW press and we're like, Hey, listen, you know, this is, I think this is the right timing now, you know, I'm, you know, field producer on, uh, on the documentary, you know, that, that, that would bring something else to the table that, 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 you know, maybe ECW press thought it was missing the first time around, you know? So, um, so we got we got the green light very very quickly, and you know I, I'm I want to say that we started working on the book somewhere in 2018. So by the time the documentary was. On the air, I think that we have just started working on the book, or we're about to start, you know, around around that time. So, uh, uh, but definitely my involvement. If I wasn't involved in the HBO doc, or if there was no HBO doc, uh, I'm not even sure if the book would have uh, would have seen the the, uh, would have been published.
0: One of the things I enjoy so much about your work, Pat, is that you are such a stickler for accuracy and details. And when you add the the title, the true story of Andre the Giant, had this always been a, a A fascinating figure to yourself that you always felt that there's so much mythology around Andre that it's just so so daunting to even approach this and try and find out what is true and what is not. And that to me is going to be the consistent praise of this book is the fact that you go to so many different sources and get to the bottom of some of the most uh, obscure facts about Andre, but ones that are just – Wrestling in general exaggerates, but with Andre, it's tenfold.
1: There's two things that uh, I really wanted to make sure that this book would be about. The first one is I always thought that Montreal was never real, the, the, the story of Andre in Montreal was never really told you know it was never it was never said in the way that it was supposed to and and i mean the hbo doc is probably the uh the the, the piece of work that i you know spoken the most about andre in montreal so so you know props props to 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 Jason and the crew uh but again there's so much you can do in a eighty six minute documentary so uh I understood the limitations there uh but you know if you look at you remember the review we did a book maybe ten years ago on yes. on andre it was a recollection of of his matches almost like play by play uh of of all those matches and and there's like I want to say 30 pages from the day he was born to the day he arrived in, uh, in, in working for Vince Sr. in 1973, we have 11 chapters. We have more than 100 pages for that same period of time. So So that was very, very important for us to go in as many details as we could because none other book and none other documentary – and again – I'm sorry. And again, documentary as is time limitation, which we understood. But there was never a book that went that many details. And and again, Bugs Brown did a fantastic job with the graphic novel, and and I love every bit of it. But again, there were uh, there were still tales and myths that were told in this graphic novel. So so the other thing, the first thing was to make sure that Montreal would get. The right place this time, and the other thing was to make sure that all the myths uh, and all the tales were going to be debunked. And and I mean, when you realize that the birth certificate was, you know, d- didn't have the name that Andre was supposed to have. When you realize that if you go everywhere online, it will tell you that Andre passed away on January 27th, when he did pass away on twenty uh, on January 28th. You know, that's crazy. That's crazy. That simple stuff as, you know, a, a death certificate, as a birth certificate, uh, as a cover of a magazine, as there's so many things that were, I mean, even say that Andre the Giant got his surgery, his back surgery af- um, before WrestleMania tree, And it's not true. He got the surgery after. So, so, uh, and and for us, for Bertrand and I, it's very important because we, he, I mean, you won't look at WrestleMania 3 the same way if you know that Andre was almost begging for his life to get that surgery because he was in so much pain, but still did the match, then if you know that he had the surgery before, you know what I mean? I yes. mean, the, the guy still did... Uh, one of the, if not the biggest matches, uh, the, the, the biggest match of his career with, you know, w- w- at, a, at a moment in his life where, you know, what he needed was a back surgery and he still performed. So so you don't look at things the same way when you know all the facts. So it was very important for us to give uh, those facts to uh, to the reader.
0: And with Andre, like, sometimes it takes a lot of time to, to, you know, get into so many of these details. I mean, just when you're, when I'm reading about, you know, the difference in, like, just the, the date of him going, uh, down to uh, the U.S. and you've got like the date that it's just it's represented in a different form from day month year to month day year and just oh
1: yeah because because it was a big issue online John mm-hmm. I, I remember reading all about it because people were wondering when exactly Andre started working for Van senior and they came up with something in nineteen uh, they, they they came up with uh, I don't remember the exact date but but it was just a matter that uh, you know in French. Um, um, uh, it's uh, 8 month year, but in English it's month day year. So, so it was just a matter that you know the the, the first two numbers were uh, were flipped and and misunderstood. And you know, there you go. You know, instead of thinking that he was that he started in March, he, he, he might have started in September. You know, that's just because you you flipped the two numbers. So it was very important for us to explain you know, where this error came from and why you're going to read that people – um, you're going to read that, you know, Andrea had started working for Vince at another day. Because the only thing, the, the other thing I wanted to make sure, John, is the fact that we're coming up with so, new, so many new information and probably information that we were the first ones or, or the only ones to, to mention. So we didn't want people to start doubting what we were going to bring up, you know, as far as new information. So if we explain... Uh, why the other information that is available is, is, is there's an error. If we explain the error and how you know it, it came up to that, well, people will understand and there, there will be no doubt anymore. But I'll tell you something. I think I never said that yet in any interviews. Can you believe that WWE doesn't even have the right date of Vince McMahon Sr.'s death?
0: That is uh, that's uh, unbelievable when you when you think about that
1: because you know Vince was an important part of 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 Andre's career. He was a friend. He was friends with Andre. So at one point, I wanted to you know we wanted to mention that you know Vince Senior has passed away, and I was about to write the date and I did some research and I was like, okay, why do I have two different dates here? So, I dig and I went to old newspapers and there you go. I found the right the right date, which was not the date that I was able to find through w w e s website
0: has andre be like when when you look at the significant figures that you have done these enormous research projects covering is Andre kind of at the top of the list when it comes to untangling uh, myth from reality and does it also make you look at uh, different accepted facts and like look at history that you know especially in professional wrestling there is an element of that broken telephone history that I- I'm sure we could look into many different sports histories that there is uh, somewhat is it, a, if it is it especially concentrated in a, a figure like Andre or do you find like there is there's been a lot when you lift up that rock and see what's underneath.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you know how wrestlers are, you know. I mean, it's it's a, uh, Is it uh, Ray Stevens once said, you know, if a story, I, I want to get this right, but it's something like, if a story is good enough to be told, it's good enough to be exaggerated. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, we did the book on Mad Dog Vachon, right? And listening to Mad Dog Vachon interviews over the years some stories, you could, you could just feel the exaggeration as the years went by. So if he was, you know, so, so the rule of thumb with Dog Vachon was that the earliest he told the story, that was the closest, closest to the truth. So if he told the story in 1970, something, let's say something happened in 63, if he told the story in 1970, 1980, and 1990, we'll take the 1970 interview, because that was that was the one closest to the real truth. Because with time, uh, some some details are are forgotten, forgotten, and and, um, and and you know you had the tendency to exaggerate the story. So so that was the trick with Mad Dog Vachon. But the the the, the difference with Vachon is that we we were, you know, it, it wasn't the same kind of myths and tales. It was just stories you know the the, the famous uh, plane story in the awa or you know stuff like that with andre it was real facts you know a back surgery it's not it's not just a a plane accident and you know what really happened in there it's 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 a date it it was more more uh, uh, precise you know as far as the information goes
0: uh, n- narrowing in on Montreal, I mean, t- such a huge part of Montreal's history is that early '70s period when you have Grand Prix and All Star Wrestling. And can you just kind of paint the picture of uh, where, where Andre fit into that war at the time as you know a very significant piece on on the chessboard for that that war?
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. To to uh, I mean, some people will will say that you know Andre was. The reason why Grand Prix uh, was so successful and the reason why Grand Prix uh, was able to be number one in Montreal uh, for for uh, a year or so, you know, back in 1972, early 73. Um, other people will tell you that, you know, it wasn't just Andre, that it was also uh, Maurice and Paul Vachon's, you know, contact with it, you know, within the, 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 the business, uh, but definitely, you know, all-star wrestling. When you look at at, uh, at both rosters, the the thing that really differentiates the the the, the both rosters, Andre, all-star wrestling didn't have a a so-called seven foot uh, four, four hundred twenty pounds uh, wrestler. So <coughs> I'm sorry, and 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 they were trying. I mean, they they brought uh, uh, they brought the McGuire twins. Which you know, thinking that you know they would be able to, to 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 uh, to draw you know the attention that Andre was, but the Maguire twins didn't know how to work. So so that's the big difference between Andre and them. And Andre was was completely different as well. You know, it, it was not just because he was he was tall, but his proportions, his dimensions were so different. And it was. From everywhere, you know, his hands, his head, his his chest, you know, everything was different about Andre. He was not just a, a seven foot tall guy uh, weighing 280 pounds, you know, a lean guy. He was that back in France, <clears throat> but he was not that in Montreal.
0: And and Paul Vachon, I mean, you really do shine a spotlight on his – like the Vachon's influence on Andre and serving as that bridge of getting Andre to – Vince McMahon senior and those two kind of you know maybe in Andre's history uh, don't play enough of a role in terms of like their influence of getting Andre to the states and also having the understanding of uh, seeing Andre as this attraction which you know Vince C- Vince senior would very much borrow from that playbook and realizing how best to how best to utilize Andre in in limited as a as an attraction
1: yeah, there were so many, so many stories uh, about that. You know, uh, who brought Andre to Vince, and 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 um, so many, so many f- stuff that were created in Montreal first, and then popularized, popular, uh, popul- uh, my gosh, um, popularized in New York by Vince Senior. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with time it it became that you know it started in new york you know like the 7 foot 4 like coming from uh, uh from from um, um, from the french alps and, and and stuff like that you know from grenoble and and all that i mean there was so even even the eight wonder of the world was something that was used by ring announcer by the ring announcer of Grand Prix wrestling before Andre started going to to new york so there were so many Uh, So many stories going on about, you know, and it wasn't the right story. So it was important for us to actually uh, paint the real picture about, you know, what really happened with Andre in Montreal and who did what. And Carpentier was, with years, you know, Carpentier always tried to add the uh, the good role here, you know, because he was from France, he was the one who discovered Andre, you know, and he was the one who brought him to, to Vince Sr. But in reality, it was all the Vachons, you know, it was the Vachons in New York in, in, uh, in February of 1973, in January of 73, and, uh, and talking to Vince about, about Andre. And a lot of people thought it was even Verne. Uh, you know, that a lot of people thought that Verne, because Vern saw Andre in Japan in January of 1970, before the Vachons had heard of him, but Vern didn't share that information with the Vachons. So, so Vern wasn't interested in bringing Andre back then. He, he wanted Andre to box. He didn't want him as a wrestler. So, so, uh, so many people thought that because the Vachons were working for the AWA, that Vern, you know, told them about Andre. But that was not the case. It's actually the opposite. When Andre started working in Montreal, the Vachons sent Andre to Verne. So, so, you know that whole story needed to be, uh, to be told, you know, the right way once and for all. And you know that's pretty much what we what we try to do here.
0: When it comes to the key you know, power brokers that at different points of his career, Andre was associated with, we mentioned, uh, the, the Vashans and Vince senior, Vince junior, uh, Frank Valois as well. Is there at the end of this story, do you look at one specific figure that had Andre not come into contact with this person? It may have been a a drastically different career. Is there one person that does at the end of all of this stand uh, a bit above the others?
1: I would say you. I would say Yoshihara in Japan. Yeah, uh-huh. that you did a name that was very, very important in uh, in Andre's um, early career, because uh, you know Yoshihara went to. Uh, he was the promoter for IWE, which was at the time in 1970 the uh, uh, the second biggest promotion in Japan. It was before New Japan and All Japan started, and. And he went to France because he had good, you know, he 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 was sharing talent with uh, the uh, the promoters in Europe. And he went to a match in in, in Paris, and Andre uh, was working there. And 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 Yushira saw Andre and was like, "Oh my gosh, you know, I want this guy in Japan." So Andre already had commitments to uh, to uh, to uh, to go to England. Uh, so that was in, in, in May of 1969. And in January of 1970, he was making his first trip to Japan. And Japan was so instrumental to Andre's career. You know, that's, 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 uh, you know, that's where he, he, uh, he ended his career. Uh, that's where, you know, he, he, he wrestled, you know, from 1970 to 1992, you know, wrestled 22 22- years that's where he was a heel. You know, you got to remember when Andre turned heel, um, you know, before WrestleMania three, people were so in shock, but in Japan, he was a heel his whole career. So he already knew how to work as a heel. He knew what to do to make a good heel work. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure that it was so important uh, that Andre knew how to, to work as such uh, when, uh, when he had this feud with Hogan and, and the feud really worked perfectly because, you know, at the time, Andre wasn't the same performer in the ring, but he was still able to be a very good heel. He could act the part. He couldn't maybe um, play the, I don't want to say play, but he could play the part, but he couldn't really. You know, it wasn't the same enduring, you know, physically and, you know, um, you know, as as an athlete, it wasn't it wasn't the same, but he could still act and could still do a very good heel character. And because he had by 1987, he had 17 years of experience in Japan. So, so to me, Japan was something that sometimes is overlooked about Andre's career and and Yoshihara, in, in particular, is probably a promoter. You know, we all know about the Vachon and the Valois and and, and, and the Right, I think something that was really important, and and I'm pretty sure that Andre would agree with this, because twice in the 1970s, after Andre was working for New Japan exclusively, when Andre heard that Yoshira had trouble with his company, he went to work for him twice and, and, you know, he, you know, he couldn't say no because, you know, it doesn't, it didn't really matter in the sense that IWE wasn't a competition for him anymore, but he didn't want to say no to Andre because it was Andre, you know, it wasn't worth picking this fight with Andre. So he let, he let, he let him go, but twice Andre decided without you, Shira, asking. So, so, so that tells me that he was very, very important, uh, to, uh, to Andre.
0: When you were speaking to like so many different um, interview subjects, and specifically ones in the industry that were around him, uh, you know, we we talk about how it, people can lean on you know legendary status of Andre, but you know, you you also try and get to you know stories that do not paint Andre in, in a great light. There's the the Alan Coley story on the bus, as well as you know other incidents as well. Did you find it to be difficult when it came to you know a critical analysis of Andre? From from those that were around him, where he, he's very much, you know, held in such a a high regard as this mythical figure among those that that knew him.
1: You cannot do a true story and a real story if you don't talk about, you know, every side and 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 you know all the 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 the, the good side and the bad side of, of of a person. We did the same thing with Mad Dog Vachon. Mm-hmm. You know, in Mad Dog Vachon's book, we were telling the story that he once hit his wife. And 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 it leads to something else, but still, it, it, it leads to a good thing. But it, it was important for us to mention that story in the book. So same goes with Andre. It wasn't easy because you know that there, there's, you know, it, it was another era. It was it was you know um, at a time where people could say more things than today. Not that it was a, uh, not that it was a good idea, but I'm just saying that people were less. Uh, criticized for some of the things that, you know, they, they could get away with, a, you know, a bunch of stuff that, you know, today is seen completely differently. So it was, a, you know, talking about racism is never an easy thing, It, it, it you know, and, and probably it's even worse today, you know, because we are more... Uh, we, we, we realize more and more, you know, what, you know, what can be done, what can be done, you know, and, and even, you know, like, like the Piper thing, you know, cause we talk about that with WrestleMania 6th, right. yeah. you know, the, 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 the black, half black face that, that, uh, that he did. We had to be very careful in, in how we were going to say it. Cause today that, you know, that couldn't happen today. No. But in, back in 1990, it did happen. And, you know, probably that some people didn't like it, rightfully so. But at the same time, it didn't create, you know, it wasn't a, much of a big deal. But today would be. So, so I mean, you always have to be careful when you touch, you know, those, uh, kind of, uh, of subjects. And we, we, the, the thing that we wanted the most is that we didn't want people to think that Andre was a racist. Because no one ever said that Andre was racist. Not Bad News Brown, not Kamala. Uh but on two occasions he didn't say the right things he made mistakes, and it only shows that he was human he, he, he i mean he, you know he was he was a giant of a man but he was he was he was he was a human being as well with his flaws and making mistakes and I think it's important to mention that as well because those kind of things, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and, you know, with, you know, with both uh, Alan and, and with Kamala, Andre, you know, settled everything, everything was fine, you know, by, by the end of it. Uh, But, you know, it was something that needed to be, to be, uh, to be said.
0: Uh, did you and Bertrand have any existing relationship or had, had spoken to members of his family prior to this project? Or was this um, when you first made contact with them? Because I think they had so much that no other wrestlers are going to be able to provide, you know, shine a light on as, as they could.
1: Yeah. Um, Andre's nephew, Boris uh, came to, um, uh, to the Mad Dog Version Book Lounge in Montreal and I remember <laughs> I'll always remember this. I I really thought that he was just some 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 stupid guy trying to make me believe that he was really Andre the Giants <laughs> nephew. And I was like, What 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 is he talking about? Andre the Giants nephew in Montreal? Eh, get out of here, you know and 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 well he was right you know boris rusimov and and uh he was living my gosh 10 minutes from where i was living uh from I, I I'm imagine living. you doing
0: like a background check on this guy getting all his like his whole history <laughs> and doing a doing a whole investigation into this guy but
1: but it was no but actually that's something that's, and it's only it's only months after that I was talking to Bertrand, and I think it's Bertrand actually who did who did that that background check or something. And he was like, "No, the guy is legit." I was like, "What, really?" And uh, when the HBO documentary uh, approached me, um, I mean, they were already in in talks with uh, with a few of Andre one one of Andre's nieces and friends, but it wasn't really going well. Uh, with, with with them, so I spoke with Boris, and I was like, "Hey, you know, is there any way we can actually, you know, go in France and interview your father?" And he was like, "Yeah, sure, you know, we can make that happen." And actually, it was Boris didn't make the cut, but he was also interviewed for the documentary, but he didn't make the the, the cut at the end. Uh, but um, but we went to France and we we interviewed uh, his father uh, Antoine and his wife. Uh, Hortense and then we met with uh, another brother Jacques and um, so I had met both of them during the HBO doc Uh, so when uh, when the book came um, uh, we we got the green light for the book uh, I went back to France and I sat down again with those two guys because you know that there was more stuff that I wanted to ask that we couldn't for the documentary because there was no way we would, you know, go into that many details and, and rightfully so for a documentary. But for a book, that's what good about a book. So you can go into so many details. So I went back there, sat down with them. They told me a bunch of other stories. And Boris was also very helpful because he was the only one from the family to actually do research on his, uh, on his, on his great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents from Bulgaria and from Serbia, and he got in touch with some of his cousins over there, so they had information that no one else had, None, not even members of the family, actually. Probably stories that Andre never knew. So, uh, so it was instrumental in, in so many ways. And, you know, I didn't even know he was living 10 minutes from where I was living.
0: <laughs> well, one of the themes that I definitely came away after reading this is that this is a figure that I think there was, you know, he, it seems like one consistent is that the final years of his life were very, very tough on him uh, physically and probably mentally as well. Uh, Once he is aware of the acromegaly that you go into when he's first uh, made aware of this and opting not to have the surgery like today that's that's hardly a death sentence if you get acromegaly but i think that there was very much a part of him that believed that this was his characteristic and that if i'm not andre the giant if i'm just andre i lose my my specialness to so many people but it was also this burden that he carried to every airport and every hotel was this size that he lived and ultimately died by
1: yeah I'd like to believe that Andrew was misinformed with this, because I, I cannot explain it otherwise. The, the, the only two reasons he ever gave was God made me the way I am; I don't want to change it, mm-hmm. or, or um, I, I don't want to lose. I, I, I don't. I don't want to lose what made me special, because he thought that getting the surgery would make him lose all of his specialness you know and, and the thickness of his hands and his head and everything he would have perhaps lost a bit of it but never to the point where he would have not been under the giant uh but he could have probably add you know a few a few good years to 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 uh to his life you know uh, look at the big show sure. you know he's, he's surpassed under his age so so uh, i mean he decided against it I'm. I have no problem, um, thinking that he got misinformed. Because it was in Japan, um, probably through a translator in English. No one, no one there was, you know, speaking French. Andre, Andre's English wasn't really good at the time. Uh, well, you know, one could say that it was never good, but <laughs> that's another story. But, um, but I mean, um, and but but when when he heard from uh, Doctor Yet in 1981 with his uh, ankle uh, surgery, I mean that's I mean there's no way that at that time he was not informed properly. So so that's a decision he he he, he took there. At the same time, we, we got to remember that I mean a surgery it's it's a brain surgery, you know. So it, it's it's a little scary, you know, <laughs> especially if you if you don't if you don 't have all the uh, implications, if you don 't have all the consequences, if you don 't understand understanding them well so i mean there's there 's that old thing you know it 's still a brain surgery, so it 's not it 's not just uh, something you you have to take lightly, but you know for for whatever reason, Andre decided against it and Decided to live uh, life, you know, the the the, the fullest he can. Uh, but by the end of the at the end of his of his of his uh, of his life, I mean, what started as drinking because you know he wanted to live to live, you know, to live the life and just you know being in a party because he knew he was going to die young. Well, it became necessary because you know drinking was healing—not healing, but it was—you know—he he wasn't less hurt. You know, he, he, he wasn't—he uh, wasn't in as much, uh, you know, uh, pain when he was drinking than when he was not. So, so you know, even his drinking—he he started drinking uh, hard liquor at one point uh, because of that, you know, so his old, his old thinking of, oh, you know what, I'm going to party because I don't care. I'm going to die young became, well, I need to drink now because, you know, it, it helps me, you know, keep going. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that to me, that should have been a sign that, well, maybe I should do something about it.
0: Do do you have any, um, any of your own beliefs of, had Andre not passed in, in 1993 and he got those, those extra years, I mean, as the, as the WWF would turn around later in the 90s, like what kind of role would you have seen him having in wrestling, you know, outside of the ring at this point? I mean, as we're going deeper into the 90s, but do you feel that he would have been a figure that would have had a close association? I mean, would he have, continued to to push things in the ring. I mean, he has his final match like just weeks before his his passing. Like, do you have any kind of thoughts on just where we would have seen Andre go had he had a few more years?
1: I don't think he would have he would have stopped. I I mean, a, a wrestling locker room was his uh, sanctuary. Mm-hmm. That 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 was a place where he wasn't judged by anyone. He, 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 that's the only place where he he could be himself. Could enjoy it because he wasn't pointed at. He wasn't touched. He wasn't. I mean, you know, there were no kids crying or wanted to 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 poke him and to touch him. He, he, he wasn't looking, a, uh, you know, as an alien. He was just one of the boys, and that's something that Andre liked more than anything else. So, and that's why he kept going. He, he didn't know what else to do, and that's you know that's the only place where he felt. He felt right, so i don't I don't think he would have stopped he wasn't he wasn't i mean he, he said he said something like <clears throat> he said something like uh, to jackie, uh, jackie uh, McCauley, who uh, was living with Andre with her husband uh, Frenchie Bernard at the time, and um he once told her that he wanted to move to Hawaii once to be closer to Japan, and the other reason was to be closer to his daughter in Seattle. So Hawaii, you know, felt right because you know, on top of it, there's like nice weather and the beach and everything. So, so it could have you know helped him, uh, you know, even with his health. You know, maybe you know the weather in Hawaii is is is, is a better weather than uh, than than even North Carolina. You know, so um, so, but but thinking the way he was thinking, he, to get closer to Japan. So I really don't think. He had in mind to stop, and that's why also he was so uh, so so mad about Vince Jr. Because right. Vince Jr. had to take that decision one day that he was not going to use Andre anymore, and at the time there were no um, a Legends contract, you know that didn't exist. Probably that today uh, Vince would have kept him under a Legends contract, and Andre would have not gone anywhere, but. Things like that didn't happen in, in, in back in the days, you know, and Andre didn't want to to stop wrestling and he wanted to continue. So he went to Mexico, went to Japan and, you know, so, yeah, I think he would have kept going until his body would have completely shut him down.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't think the bookings would have stopped. I think you know they there always would have been dates for him to have. Is it would have been? I think ultimately it would come down to him having to make that oh, yeah. decision. So,
1: oh yeah, I, I mean, I mean, 1991 or 1992. Uh, I think in one of the two years there's a match he did in Japan, a three against three match. Uh, Baba was 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 in the match as well, and you know, in the wrestling observer newsletter, it was like one of the the, the worst match of the year or one of the worst matches of the year. But in Japan, it was voted like I don't know fourth or, five or fifth best matches that year in Japan. So, so I mean, in Japan, they were seeing Andre completely differently. That we were seeing him here, you know. So, so he, he of course he would have continued to find booking because there was always somebody who would have you know who would have wanted to uh, to book Andre the Giant on his card.
0: I did want to touch uh, just a bit before we wrap up on uh, Dark Side of the Ring that aired this past week that you were heavily involved with, not just uh, on screen, but also uh, behind the scenes conducting uh, so many of the interviews as well. And just to kind of tie the two together, I mean, you do talk about the relationship or lack thereof between Andre and Dino that they, you know, there, there was like a big falling out here with, with others involved as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dino didn't like, uh, Dino didn't like the way, uh, I mean, didn't like Andre. He, he, he thought that, you know, he was not as useful as, as Gino Brito thought Andre was. That, you know, he was slow in the ring and everything. And, 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 you know, he, he it, it was typical, typical, you know, wrestling stuff, you know, in the sense that Bravo, Andre was the only one that could really main event a show like Bravo could do at the time in Montreal. And there was some jealousy over it. And, and, you know, since Bravo was also, uh, you know, part owner, he would become part owner of the company. But at the time, he wasn't. So uh, he he was just perhaps scared that, you know, Andre would, would, you know, uh, take a spot or something, you know. It's just typical wrestling stuff that you know you see, uh, you know, in every uh, every uh, every decade in in you know a lot of promotions. Uh, but there were there was a big falling out when Andre and him were in Japan, and when they came back, um, the relation wasn't the same. Uh, and Andre just decided to sell his share of the company and didn't really give any reasons. Uh, Gino didn't ask him much of a reason. The only thing Andre said was like, well, you know, I am I'm, I prefer to just walk away because Andre didn't like confrontations. So if, you know, I don't know, what, did, did he got into an argument with Bravo in Japan? Did he hear some stuff, you know, that Bravo could have said? Because, you know, Bravo was very vocal about about Andre. Something happened. And and Andre just said, hey, you know what? I don't need this. And, and, and I'm just going to sell my share. And, and ironically, Bravo, you know, he sold his share back to Gino, but Bravo is the one who who, who, uh, who bought them from Gino. So, you know, Dino just replaced Andre as the third partner in the company in, in Montreal at the time. And, uh, and, and that was pretty much it, you know, but, um, the Bravo documentary was, was, uh, was something else, you know, it was, it was different than, you know, my implication in the, uh, Andre documentary, because, you know, um, there, there, there's as sad as Andre's story can be. I mean, the Bravo story was, was so different. I mean, you know, the family was involved and, and the family, uh, you, you know, the, the Gino and the, uh, Hernandez uh, Dark Side of the Ring documentary, the family really wanted to know what happened to Gino. You know, was it a murder? Was it a suicide? They really wanted to know. Uh, the Brescianos, Diane and, 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 and her daughter Claudia, they didn't want to know. Yeah. They don't want to know who did it. That's not why they wanted to be part of the documentary, and that's not what they were looking for from the documentary. They just wanted the story to be to be to be told respectfully. And, you know, that was that was one of my one of my roles, you know, in the sense that um you know, I, I did put them in touch with, you know, guys like Tony Muley and, and Gino Brito and, and that you know that journalist Claude Poirier and, uh, with Claudia as well, you know, because, you know, I knew Claudia for a long time by then. because, uh, cause that old stuff was safe in, in 2018. Uh, because it was supposed to be part of the first season, which was supposed to be 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was changed to only six. So the whole project was put on the ice for, uh, for, for a while. Uh, but, uh, but back in, in 2018, you know, I knew Claudia for, for a number of years already. And, uh, um I just contacted an interview with her and her mom uh, a few months before because it was uh, Dino's 25th uh, um uh, it was is his, uh, the 25th anniversary of his of his passing so so I just you know did that big article on, on you know not the guys not not the, the the wrestling people telling Dino's stories but um his wife and his daughter so it was a completely different angle. So Claudia needed, I knew Claudia needed to be in the documentary and, 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 and Jason and Evan, uh, who co-created the, 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 the series knew that as well. Uh, but Claudia trusted me because she knew me. She didn't know them. And, um, the crazy thing is that the day that we were supposed to, uh, film her interview, uh, well, she, 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 she backed down. She didn't want to do it anymore. She she wasn't sure that you know that, that that her father would be treated with respect. She didn't know who those two guys were. So props to Evan. He 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 just looked at me and said, You know what? Call her back and tell her that we're gonna have dinner tonight. Tell her to bring her boyfriend. Um uh, me and Jason will be there and, and be you know, be there as well. And we'll just have a nice dinner, talk about things and you know, see if she fake she she feels comfortable after that, and she agreed to it. And by the end of the dinner, she was she was all in. She just needed you know to be reassured that her father was not going to be uh, treated you know unrespectfully. Uh, or, you know it wasn't going to be disrespect in the documentary because uh, you know the way the way is is, is life ended. It's, it's it's you know it's 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 a very very hard and tough story to 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 hear. And, um, and you know, I'm I'm glad she did because, I mean, Claudia was the star of the show. She was, she, she killed it there. Yeah, I mean, by the end, I was the one, you know, uh, asking questions. And I, I wanted to keep one last question for her. And I, because I asked her the same question when I spoke to her for my article and I knew what kind of emotion she got into. So I asked her, my very last question was, if you could have your dad for 5 minutes like if you if you could see him now what would you tell him and that's what she says at the end of the documentary about you know that she she uh, she would tell him that she uh, she, she she forgives him. she forgives him you know because she understands that he did it for his family and she starts crying and man i watched the documentary twice i i asked the question originally and i was still get you know uh, wet eyes just by hey. You know, looking at her, her answer, and she was so good throughout the documentary. Diane, it, it, Diane was a, it was the first time that she was answering questions in front of a camera. That was something, you know. So I'm very glad that you know I was able to help, uh, being kind of the middleman because uh, between between Claudia and and Jason and Evan, and you know they did a fantastic job. And um, yeah, I just think the whole thing was uh, was was very good.
0: Do you have any idea, uh, Claudia? Having ha- has she seen the documentary? To your knowledge, oh yeah,
1: yeah, and- yeah. She 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 saw it. She 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 really enjoyed it. She she uh, uh, she liked it. She thought that you know her father was like she wanted. She she, she you know he was treated with respect. That the right story was told, and uh, yeah, she she really enjoyed it. She wrote. To, to, to the crew and, and make sure to let them know that everything was good for her. Everything was good for her mom as well. And, she, you know, it's something that she's really proud of.
0: I know he's a very polarizing figure, but I do feel like within this documentary and kind of what you are, you know, you have to condense sometimes a lot into 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 a soundbite, into su- summarize something very complex into, you know, a limited amount of time, but I thought Jacques Rougeau, I mean, he just seemed to be someone that knew exactly what he was being asked and to really much, you know, paint what it is going to the WWF, what that means. Uh how did you feel uh, Jacques came off in the documentary?
1: It's funny cuz I'm not always the biggest, I'm not always Jacques' biggest fan, you know, because a lot of things that he, he says are, you know, he, he, you know how Hogan, you know, nowadays, yeah. will, they will tell stories that makes no sense and, you know, facts that, that can be checked, you know, and, and, and Jacques sometimes is pretty much uh, the same, you know, and it's funny because I thought he wasn't that bad in that documentary, but... I you, you have no idea how many messages I, I've received uh, about Jacques, and people didn't like what you know uh, how, the, how Jacques was was uh, you know what what Jacques was saying in the document. It was like really, for once I thought he was he was all right. You know, I mean, there's a few things here and there. You know that that you know Jacques got probably exaggerated, or you know maybe not. Hundred percent, what what it really was, but it wasn't major stuff, you know. I mean, people are questioning if Dino really called him the day he died. I mean, we don't know. Maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. Jacques says he Jacques, Jacques says he did. So, you know, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm gonna believe it. And and I was trying to find a, a reason why would Dino call Jacques? Because Jacques is right. They were not close. They were not close, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I, it's funny because I spoke to Jacques earlier today. And, um, I was like, you know what, Jacques Dino wanted to bring back wrestling in the province of Quebec. That was one of the ideas he had. What if he was calling you about that? Jacques was the only one at the time where he was between two runs. He, 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 in, in March of 93, yep. he was not working for the, for, for, for the Fed at the time. He was out of his monthly character and he was three months shy of, of starting with, uh, with Pierre Carl and as the Quebecers. So, so, I mean, Rick was still working for the office. Raymond was still working for the office. Um, so, so who else could he, could he turn to if he wanted to start something in Quebec? So so, and Jacques was like, oh, you know what? Maybe 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 you're right. It makes sense. But we don't know. We'll never know. You know, because he was probably not calling Jacques to get help because he had trouble with, with, with organized crime. That, that, that doesn't make sense. And that's what people were thinking. They were like, yeah, yeah, right. He called Jacques, you know, at, at, you know on his last day to get – no, that's not what Jacques is saying. He just said that he called him. He doesn't know why he wanted to talk. About, but he did call him. So, so I mean, I don't see Jacques creating, inventing that story. You know, it, it's just coming out, you know, of nowhere. So, so that's my explanation to it. But for the rest of it, Jacques, you know, the, the crew liked him because he brings so much energy to 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 a documentary like this. Uh, but you know, I thought that you know Jacques was 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 okay. It was it was um, for once, I just thought that yeah, he he did he did fine
0: locally is is the dino bravo story that one that's pretty well known or is it almost like it we're so far removed from it that there are probably a lot of people within uh Quebec you know even of of your age or younger that are you know not as aware of the details
1: no i mean i mean everybody knows the the, the, the story um even my mom was on a wrestling fan you know in in the 1980s know you know who dino bravo was the only thing is that sometimes people um, are, 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 mixing Dino Bravo and Gino Brito because the name sounds alike. Okay. So sometimes they go, Gino Brito, is that the one who got killed? No, that's Dino Bravo. Oh, yeah, that's No Bravo. You know, I'm going to have that kind of conversation with people, you know. So they're just mixing the, the two names, but at the same time, they know that one of them got killed. You know, that, that story, you know, was, you know, you know they, they they remember that story. Even Kevin Raphael, you know, who I do the uh, TV sports commentary, uh, raw commentary with, and and you know we have a podcast together. Uh-huh. He, he's much younger. He's 26 or 27. He lives in Laval, you know, where uh, Dino uh, got got shot. And um, I mean, he was telling me that in Laval, uh, and you know, he was he, he's 27, so he was probably born around 93 or so so uh he wasn't even alive he wasn't even he wasn't even born at the time, but he heard that story, and that's a story in Laval in particular that you know are, is getting you know repeated from generation to generation so so I was like oh really even even you heard that oh yeah, he said I heard that when I was growing up so so that's really a story it's still i mean Bravo was one of the most popular. Wrestlers in the history of Quebec wrestling. Uh, people who only knew him from his WWF days cannot really understand what I'm saying right now. And I, I understand that. But it's really who he was. Uh, you know, Yvonne Robert was probably the most popular one. But, you know, aside from Yvonne Robert, uh, Johnny Rougeau, Edward Carpazzi, Dino Bravo, and Jacques Rougeau are probably, you know, complete the top five. Uh, most popular wrestler. Did I stick up party? Yeah. So, 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 the, I mean, Bravo was, was, you know, was, was in that league and he wasn't there for a long time. Cause that's from like 1981 to 1986 when he left, that's only five years, but it was five big years. And, and he was, you know, he was able to, uh, to sell, uh, to sell out uh the Montreal forum to not maybe selling out, but you know, Fourteen, fifteen, twenty thousand people in the Montreal Forum, and and selling out the Paul Arena, and and a big on TV. He was he was my favorite wrestler when I when I grew up. I started watching wrestling in nineteen eighty two, and he was my favorite wrestler. I mean, he was, and I say I, I say this in a documentary, and I got some some um, some uh, critics uh, online about that. But he was he was the old corner of Quebec. He was really that. I know this sounds. Completely stupid, and and but he he, he was he was the all Hogan of Quebec from 1981 to 1986, yeah. and that's why the match between him and Organ that never happened was something that um, and that, that 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 that's why the match never happened because Vince knew how Bravo understood how Bravo would be. Popular, you know, was popular here in, in Montreal and how it could affect, um Hogan's popularity. And, you know, Vince always avoided, uh, big baby faces against, or, or guys that would be so popular. You know, remember that thing with Jake, Jake Snake Roberts with Hogan? It was the same, the same deal. You know, the only one that he, he, uh, that was able to get a program with Hogan was Ultimate Warrior. Uh, but I mean, um, in 1986, he was in Vince didn't want Hogan to be the second most popular wrestler to anyone. And and Jerry Briscoe confirmed the story, and Jerry Briscoe told me that, you know what, we thought a riot would happen. That's also why we didn't want to do it. We thought that people would perhaps riot if, let's say, we put Ogan over Bravo, because I don't. I don't think Bravo would have, you know, be over on Hogan, but, uh, but still, you know. So, so that's how. I don't think, to be honest, I don't think there would have been a riot. But at the same time, that's how scared they was of that match, and they decided just to nix the idea and to put Bravo against somebody else and Hogan against somebody else, and that pissed off Dino, and that's why he didn't leave for WWF at the time. He, he left only. In October of that year, because by then, international wrestling was just, you know, going down and down and, and the money was too too good for Dino to, uh, uh, to refuse to not go. But, I mean, Bravo was, uh, he was charismatic, he was good on interviews, uh, he was uh, energetic, he was, I mean, he was full of muscle, you know, that big guy. Uh, you know, that, that Italian blood in him, you know, which when he was doing comebacks, you know, it was all fire and you could, you could feel it at home, you know. So he had really that, that, he left really that, that impression on fans. And, you know, it, he had that program with Ricky Martel back in 82, 83. Uh, and, uh, they did matches in Montreal and in Quebec City and Bravo was more popular than Martel in Quebec City. And and to, to, to be from Montreal and be like in Quebec City, especially back in the 80s with that old hockey feud between the Montreal Canadiens and Quebec Nordiques, that was something. That was something. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the it, it's hard. I mean, I'm trying to explain it, and it's not the first time. I'm trying to explain it the best I can, but I know that there's still going to be people who say, oh, yeah, yeah, he's just exaggerating things. But, you know, you know, it, 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 is, it is a reality
0: absolutely um just uh, finishing up here when you're when you're finished watching this do you like obviously like and this has been a theme throughout um this season of dark side of the ring is that the you know these people that are no longer around and those that are still alive that carry so much of that with them and in this case you know his widow his daughter that you just have so much that that you just you feel so sorry for these people of what they've gone through at the end of this, does Dino Bravo come across to you in any way as a sympathetic figure, or one that ultimately did make some some bad choices that you know had the ultimate cost that he had to pay at the end of this?
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a personal opinion, and I mean it, it, it depends. You know, some people will some people will say, oh, you know what. You know he did he did he did mistakes and he paid for it and you know that's on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people will just say, well, you know what? I mean, he, he 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 did. I mean, he tried his best to to give his family what he thought they deserve. And you know, he, yes, he took bad decisions, but you know, so so I mean, I, I think getting Claudia to say, I forgive him. To me, if you ask me. I think if Claudia can forgive him, I can forgive him too. You understand? So, I mean, I mean, so I I think that Claudia helps, perhaps that you know, m- making people feel more, you know, uh, feel differently for 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 Bravo. Uh, but there's always going to be people who, who will say, "Well, you know what? You know, I'm not his, I'm, I'm You know, I'm, I'm... You know, I just don't think he, he did the right choices." And 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 you know, people will will keep the, their 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 thoughts and opinions on on you know. I mean, he he was. Uh, he at the end of the day, the the story won't change. And for me, the important thing is that the family is 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 in peace with everything and if they are well i am too
0: it does paint like the a a much fuller picture like this is not just a black and white story it's like yes he had he was involved in this aspect of his life but this man you know from these accounts was a a wonderful father and like that's um that that's the the complicated picture that is this this entire uh story
1: what, what what's your take on it
0: I think that at the end of it, I think you look at a guy that was clearly had painted himself into a corner, and mm-hmm. I understand. Like he he went down a path that I think he just realized was here's my here's my quick fix to alleviate all of this. You know, the, the to keep a living for my family, and suddenly he realized I'm in way too deep. And by that point, it was you know it was too late already. It, it was too yeah. late at that point. I think so, and I definitely don't discount your theory about here he is he is so deep what's my only way out it's wrestling and do i make that call to jacques about somehow getting my lifeline is pro wrestling i i think that's completely viable
1: yeah and and i mean um dino dino wasn't made to be an organized crime. he he was too uh too prompt to uh you know he, he had that temper that that didn't go well in that uh, in that world, you know, and and he was he was very loud, and that doesn't go well either, you know. So he, 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 when you when you you take a step back and look at, at this, he wasn't he wasn't made for that world. He, he should have never got himself involved there, because you know, he, of course, he was going to rub people the wrong way at one point or another. Uh, but you know, that's that's. You know, like I, like I, I say the documentary, there's not a lot of jobs when you the only thing you did for the past 22 years is wrestling and you made, you know, probably millions of dollars. Um, there's not a lot of the jobs that will give you a six or seven figure, uh, salary, you know, number salary every, every year. So, so uh, and you know it was probably the easy the easiest thing to do and uh, and you know so that's what that's what he did he didn't want to lose the lifestyle because um, I've read some things online you know that like well we should have sold the house and you know he would have gotten money and yeah but it was just uh, that that was a, a Band-Aid. you know selling the house would have been a bandaid because I mean. He would have gotten money, but he would have been, uh, you know, it would have lasted just for that, you know, a short period of time, and he would have ended up asking himself the same questions, but maybe two or three years later, and and you know, the only thing he could have done was wrestling. So, so I mean, to me, selling the house was just a band aid, and uh, he didn't want to to lose that lifestyle, and and I'm I'm guessing, you know. I never got that lifestyle and uh, I never had uh, I don't know about you but I never wait, had that. wait a 800- minute. I, I,
0: I think Pat is just in the, the big house <laughs> in Montreal, sitting back in his throne, putting back uh his his latest uh his latest biography I, that he's uh putting pen to paper on.
1: I wish, I wish, but you know, I don't have an eight hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar house uh, I probably never will. So I don't know what it's like, you know, to go from there. It, 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 you, you know what? It reminded me. Uh, remember Rocky Five, where Rocky just right. loses everything and go back to Philly in 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 a, in a shitty apartment and and all that. I mean, that's that's you know, and and th- that that's what Bravo did, didn't want. That's what Bravo didn't want. He was no. used to a certain standards. He wanted the he lifestyle
0: had, of of Rocky Three.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what he yeah, was accustomed that was that. to.
0: And I mean, yeah. also like a very proud man that I think that idea of, you know, selling the house, I think that was something that was, you know, this is this was, a, from all accounts, a man that had an enormous uh, amount of pride in, yep. you know, these status symbols.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, we won't change the ending of that story, uh, but uh, uh, I was just, glad to see that both claudia and and Diane were uh, in peace with this and they were uh, glad that you know they had to share their uh, their um, their thoughts and their uh, souvenirs of of uh, memories i mean of of Dino and uh, and yeah so so i mean if if uh, if anyone wants to watch see the, the documentary i mean it's 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 a it's a well told story but just just one thing. If you're looking at if you're watching it thinking that you're gonna find who did it at the end, I mean don't watch it. That's not that's not what the story is about. So that that, that was one of my uh, concerns actually. I was like, eh there's so much hype about it, and what if all this hype is about? Oh, you know, we, we'll finally know who, who uh, you know, who, who, who shot Bravo, like, like who shot Jr. You know, and, and that's that's not what you know what what the story was about. So, uh, but other than that, I thought it was you know very well done. I mean, the guy who, who impersonate Bravo, wow, props to, to to whoever found that guy because. He really looked the. He, I mean, it was mind-boggling how how close to Dino he looked, you know, in, in the ring and everything with with Hogan in front of him. So, uh, I, you know, the the I think really I'll say again, Evan and Jason really did a great job on it. And um, and then yeah, so I was really another another thing that I was really proud to be a part of.
0: Well, I'm really glad that you were you were involved because um, you were a very important part of uh, that that episode. And once again, the book is the eighth wonder of the world: the true story of Andre the Giant with uh, Bertrand Iber and Pat Laprod. And you know, I, I really realized you two have made it when I did get my advance copy, thankfully. But then last week. In comes the hardcover version, and well, might I say, what, what a beautiful hardcover this is, Pat. I mean, that is that is the symbol of excellence in in uh, in in books. You got the hardcover.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. I, and I was really proud. That was my first one. It's uh, Bertrand seconds because uh, uh, accepted the, bi- the biography of Pat Patterson was a hardcover as well. But now it's as a four hundred and twenty page book hardcover with more than a hundred pictures, you know, so, so that's, that's next level hardcover thing. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're very, very proud. And one thing that I want to mention, John, is, um, with, with everything that's going on, um, Amazon is, is, uh, it's, it's a tough way to buy the book right now because it's just because of the shipping thing. You know, it's hard to get books to, uh, Amazon warehouses. So so uh, if you're in Canada, um, indigo.ca is the shipping is, is, is very good from what I hear. And uh, may I suggest uh, ECW, ECW Press website because uh, if you buy the physical book, you'll get the e book for free there's a, there's a way to get it. You know, if you go on a website, uh, you, you can find out to, uh, how to do that, but you send your proof of payment and you'll get the ebook for free. So you can actually start reading the book, uh, while it's being, uh, mailed to you. So even if it takes longer because of, of the crisis, uh, you can start reading it and you know, you get two for one. So, uh, uh, and if you're in the States, um, Barnes and Noble, uh, website is probably uh, the best way to uh, to get the book so in uh, and, and the time being Amazon is just uh, a little more uh, tricky Yeah,
0: it's on my must read list for all listeners out there I highly recommend this book I learned so much uh, about Andre in this book so um, this is one to absolutely go out of your way uh, to check out and that's a great option there uh, indigo.ca ECW mm-hmm. Press um, and you get the free ebook so who can complain about that and you know this book—it's got the machine behind it because, as a wise man once said, "Good looks do sell books." And Pat LaPrade, you are—you are heavy in that department. So I, I hope that the, the sales all come your way.
1: You're too kind, John. Uh, thank you so much. And if people want to follow me on social media—Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Facebook—Pat uh easy to find. And um, you know, I'm always glad to uh, to talk some wrestling with with uh, with you guys.